developmental optometrist, award-winning author, and international speaker, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein holds powerful and inspiring conversations with her guests on Vision Beyond Sight in areas of healthcare, wellness, education, sports, and psychology. They share their inspirational stories of healing and life transformation through their vision expansion. Billions of people have vision problems, and vision is more than 2020. Vision Beyond Sight will help you see with clarity and gain courage and confidence. Your vision does not define you, you define your vision. With Dr. Lin's new way to look at your life through a new lens, you will be ready to meet yourself and receive visualizations for miracles to come. Welcome to Vision Beyond Sight. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Lynn Hellerstein. Welcome to a special simulcast episode of Vision Beyond Sight with Motherhood Talks Radio, hosted by Sandra Beck. I hope you enjoy our show. Hey, everybody. This is Sandra Beck, and I'm here with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein, and she's a pioneer in vision therapy and developmental optometry, and she has got just such great vision beyond vision. And I'm so excited to talk to her today about her initiatives, what she thinks and feels about this really exciting area. I know I've worked a lot in the vision impairment community, raising funds, making a difference. I have terrible vision. I always have. I've got contacts and glasses in order to correct my vision needs. And so I just love my optometrist and therefore I'm transferring that over to Dr. Lynn Heller because anybody who can help us see not only with our eyes but with our hearts and minds just wins in my book. Welcome to today's show. Oh, thank you, Sandra. It's so great to be with you today. You know, how did you get involved in in your vision initiative? You know, were you a little girl that wanted to be a doctor? Were you a little girl that wanted to help people? Where did your origin come from? Yeah, I was always on track to be a pediatrician. I loved working with kids, wanted to be a doctor, but my own personal vision issues is what led me towards the kind of work I do now. Um, My sister was a great reader. She would sit down on the couch, snuggle up, and she'd read for hours. When I was about seven, eight years old, I wanted to be right just like her, and I'd sit right next to her, cozy up, open the book. Before you knew it, my eyelids were shut the words had danced around, I lost my place, and I would go to sleep. It didn't make any difference what time it was. Reading put me to sleep. I knew how to read, I wanted to read, but I visually just couldn't stay on the page. Oh. Luckily, my dad was an optometrist and gave me, I saw 2020, but he gave me reading glasses. But even with that, there was just so much more that I needed help on focusing and using, coordinating my eyes. And so I went through you know, seven and a half years of college, hating reading. Mm. In fact, you can probably guess what my most dreaded college course was. What, what do you think that yeah, was? Probably be? English literature. English Lit 101. Like why and how would anybody read all those books? You know, math, science, you name it. That's great. So I was on a mission to really see about myself and what's going on for me visually. And uh, that led me into, you know, becoming an optometrist and really getting interested initially with kids with learning problems and eye-hand coordination kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Now, do you, um, when you were working with children, 
you started, I'm sure, to see some trends in families. And did you find that that vision issues and like you said, the hand eye coordination or the dyslexia or dysgraphia, any of those, um, did you find that they run in families? Very much so. So much that I have to be careful when I do consultations so that, you know, one of the family members doesn't have the guilt. More often than not, you can just see them almost tear up like, oh my gosh, my life was like that. I struggled when I, I was a kid reading and I had terrible handwriting. Um, but along with it, many of these kids are very smart. And they're very oh. bright and sometimes identified as being gifted. So I also mentioned, you know, uh, kids like this also come from those same kinds of genes. And so it's interesting uh, to see those kinds of process running for family. It shows up differently. Like one may have more problems in math or one in reading, but uh, patterns certainly do exist. Oh, absolutely. I see it in my own family, from my grandfather to my father to my brothers. Like they can't read, they can't spell, but but mathematically and engineering wise, they're amazing. My brother's a NASA rocket scientist, literally. But if you ask him to sign a greeting card, you can't, you know, you'd need like a cryptographer to get in there and decipher the handwriting and the spelling is just, forget it. I mean, even the reading, most of the education that my family had was audio education. Even in the early days, my mom would read us, especially my brothers, read the homework assignment, read the questions, help them you know, they, we had to matriculate, we had to do the answers, but but everything was audio in our house because you have that that whole family. That's why I was curious to find out if you saw that same trend in families. Well, your, your profile describes probably 25 to 30% of my vision therapy population. We work with a lot of psychologists who actually evaluate IQs and kids' learning styles. And often they're like the rocket scientists. They figure yeah. math in their head, just don't make them read the instruction book. And, right. um, and so we work with um, tutors and other specialists to really help that kid attain their potential. And uh, so often behavioral issues show up because they're so smart, they're frustrated. Bored. They right, they're bored. So that's a really common uh, profile of a patient that we'll see in the office. I love that. Yay. So yeah. we're all right at home. And I think it's important, you know, that we discuss these things because we need to know that it's not a predictor of future success. And that's the thing that I think has changed in my mind. You know, what, what, I was called as a child scatterbrained, unable to focus, you know, blah, blah, blah. The whole thing is one of the things that makes me really good at what I do. And my brother's abilities, both of them are very successful. Their disabilities are also some of the things that make them unique and sought after in their field. I really see that where there are many of these kids are talk about and adults or visual spatial learners. I don't even think they see the, the world in left, right, front, back. I think they see it in different um, parameters and different, uh, different ways and that it makes them creative, mm -hmm. but it also confuses them when they're trying to learn the difference between a B and a D and a P and a Q. That's right, that's yep. right. And, and so they are usually very spatial art, artists. They love Legos, mastermind, uh, can answer math in their head, but yep. can't show their work. 
Dr. Lynn Hellerstein, I'm just going to jump in here for a second because as we talk about sight and vision, this company is a visionary and I have been a member of Grobe Collaborative since 2016. And did you know that only 9% of plastic actually gets recycled no matter how much we put in our recycling bin? And at Grove Collaborative, they believe it's time to ditch single-use plastics for good and so do I. And Grove carries hundreds of products aimed at replacing these single-use plastics around your home and in your personal care room. And by 2025, Grove will be 100% plastic free. And if any of you have been to the beach lately, you can see what a mess we've made as a population with plastic. So for Grove to be 100% plastic free, that's why I've been a member since 2016. Now we can switch to sustainable products for every room in your home, from laundry care to hand soaps and more. Grove Collaborative has you covered with safe formulas and refillable packages that never compromise on performance. Now I have to tell you my absolute absolute favorite product that they have. My absolute favorite product they have are the dishwasher detergent packs. You've got two different kinds you can get. You can get free and clear or my favorite is the lemon and eucalyptus. It smells so good and when I take the dishes out I feel like I've just been in a spa versus my normal like drudging through the dishes. They can remove 48 hour baked on foods and stains from your stuff and I've tested this because I leave stuff on my counter and I live in Southern California. California and stuff gets baked on there like concrete. So these little power packs do a great job and they smell good. And they did get the stains out of my dish mat. You know, the one that I put on the bottom of my sink, you know, when I drop and slip things so stuff doesn't break. And they're 91% plant-based and they're formulated with enzymes. So there are no harsh chemicals. They're sustainable. They're powerful. If you want a healthy home and a healthy planet, check them out. Join over 2 million households already shopping sustainably at Grove. So go to grove.com slash motherhood talk today to get a free gift set worth up to $50 with your first order. Plus shipping is fast and free. So get started right now at grove.com slash motherhood talk grove.com slash motherhood talk. That's grove.com. You will be so glad you did. Your house will be happy. Your kids and family will be happy. The planet will be happy. What's not to love? Now we were talking with Dr. Lynn Hellerstein about having a vision where children's learning is concerned and that there are kids that can do math in their head or languages in their head and they shouldn't be penalized for not showing their work or even worse accused of cheating. When I was in graduate school um, I took a statistics class and the lady said you you cheated on this test because I didn't do whatever she wanted me to do and she accused me of cheating and I said no I said I did it she goes you didn't show any work and I said I didn't have to. Right. And, and you don't you even know. know. Right. Right. You know, and so I think it's important that we have conversations like this, first of all, for parents raising children that may be different from them. You know, I was very different from my mother and I was more, you know, like my father and my brothers. But I think having these conversations and way, raising awareness that just because you have difficulty in fundamental traditional education doesn't, it's not a predictor of failure. It's not a doom and gloom sentence. It just means we have to find, a, you know, a workaround. And I, I liken it to a computer, Dr. Hellerstein. We have a mouse, we have a keypad, we have a trackball, or we might have a digital tablet. All of those input information into the computer, correct? Correct. So why would we only use a mouse? Yeah. 
And that's what we're talking about with the human condition is only using a mouse to input data. There's all sorts of ways to input data into the human psyche, human spirit, human soul. Well, it's a great analogy, um, Sandra. I like that. And um, people need to remember that vision is our dominant sense for learning. Mm -hmm. Yet we pay least attention to it in the schools and in special testing uh, if you see 2020, they just assume that your vision's great. And all it means is that you can see a, a certain size letter at 20 feet. You could have double vision and, uh, and pass that screen. And so many of the kids aren't as blessed as gifted kids we're talking about in that they can't track and they, uh, and they might see double or get headaches or blur or- Or jump around the page. Or lose you know. or place, jump around the page, right? And so I use the analogy in my consultations again of think of your kiddo like a computer system, someone like you talked about, you have your input and that could be a mouse or a keyboard yep. or whatever. Then you have your processor. That's right. We're always checking to make sure you have enough memory in that processor. And then you have your output system, which is more your writing. And many of these kids I find, you know, have great processors, but there's a breakdown in the tracking, focusing, eye alignment, getting information in and or a breakdown in the output. You know, it's like being attached to an old dot matrix printer. Right. If you're old enough to remember those printers, right? Right. Yep. Processor's still going and the printer is. Yep. Yep. No, and I think it's, you know, it's a very exciting time, um, I think, for these kind of discussions because people are recognizing how much learning goes on through YouTube, through podcasts through you know we've got audio learners we've got visual learners then we have blogs that are for our readers you know all of those serve different functions in inputting information into the body but i also want to talk about do you I, and again this is a question that i've had because i've watched my kids over the years with their learning do you find that anxiety or depression maybe some of the emotional dysregulation can affect the vision input? Well, first of all, let me let you know that I am seeing so much anxiety and depression symptoms, even in kindergartners, mm -hmm. kids of all ages. And the pandemic has just created a, an explosion of that. And um, I, I see, you know, cause and effects always interesting mm -hmm. in that does the tracking or the reading problem cause more anxiety? Right. Which it might, or does the anxiety of having to do a task break down your reading? And it's usually or does it loop? Exactly. You know, like that's where you know, computer. I'm a background in computer programming. You know, to me, it's like that's a loop. You've got you know, in 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 a computer loop, you have a, a you know a closed circle. So you even though you might put the origination point at anxiety, then you have maybe a cognitive challenge. And then that causes more anxiety and the wheel goes around and around because you've got this, this relationship between these two and who knows which one starts. Well, it's so true. And I'll give you an example. Um, I had a little seven or eight year old sitting in my exam chair and we're talking, having fun. And I asked her a question. So how's reading? And you could just see her body stiffen and she started crying. She wouldn't talk to me anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I lost her, you know, I lost yep. connection with her. And so I go, whoa, you know, let's back up. 
tell me something. What, what do you really like to do and play outdoors? What do you do? And she goes, and then all of a sudden she perks up. You know, I'm a reader. She says, I'm a swimmer. I go, well, will you play a game with me? She goes, sure. I said, let's pretend that we're going to jump in a swimming pool. So we pretend we jump in, we're splashing around and, and she's laughing and we're giggling and we're doing all these things like that. And then I said, hey, I have a surprise. You ready? Put your hands out. She does. And I toss her an imaginary book. She catches it. And I said, well, look at that. That book doesn't get wet in the water. Go ahead and try and dunk it. Look. And she keeps saying, can I open it and look in it? And I said, well, do you want to? She said, oh, yeah, I got to see the pages. And so we opened it up and pretended to read. And that became her little imagery that she would do before she had to stand up and read in front of the class. Oh. I told her she couldn't read without taking a swim. And she'd always laugh. And I said, you don't have to tell anybody. Don't get too wet. You know, and we play. But that was her little trigger of calming her anxiety and fear so that she could now get on the page. Mm -hmm. And um, she was one that we, you know, she was in for therapy and she had a lot of eye teaming and tracking and focusing problems. And she improved greatly in those skills, but she still didn't believe she was a reader. Right. She saw herself as being dumb, as she'd say, or, and I'm not a reader. And that's where this inner visioning was also important, not just working on the tracking. Right but her own perception of what it's like to be a reader. Well, and to take a limiting belief and adopt it, you know, at five, six, seven, eight years old, you know, can, can change the course of a lifetime. No question. Right. We create who we believe we are. That's right. That's get right. stuck in it. Right. Well, and that's why I love the play on words like vision, because, you know, you talk about actual physical vision, but then you also have, you know, kind of a psychological, spiritual belief system based vision. That's and correct. I think that's that's prevalent in our cultures, too. You know, I just spent time with my family that's um, back east and they're Ukrainian and they're um, po Polish and Russian and German. And there's a lot of entrenched belief systems within those cultures that women are good at X, men are good at Y. You know, we've got some of this old country. And so I would imagine that there's also cultural influences at play in addition to a child who has an internal and external vision problem, shall we say, that they may just say, oh, well, girls just aren't good at math and that's okay. Yeah, no, that's very true. And, and it even goes down to what we would call visual fixation, like looking at somebody, looking in their eye. Culturally, you don't do that right. in some types of cultures. And so that always plays a role. And, and belief systems um, vary from person to person, culture to culture. And um, I think what happens is people don't really even realize that they have the power to do something about their belief system. Right. They think they're born with these beliefs or that's the way it is or they inherited them. And really, when you start working on your internal envisioning and those come up, you really start seeing you have the power to transform and create who you want to be. Right. Well, I think one of the, the, the biggest ahas for me as an adult was, ooh, I get to choose my thoughts. And guess what? I get to choose how I feel about something. Like we are not pre-programmed robots. And yes, there is certain evolutionary biological responses that come out, 
but we get to choose our emotions. And I will tell you this interesting story, what happened when I was in court and I was waiting in the children's court with this lady and she was there with her older husband and she had told me, I'd seen her a couple times, she had told me this horrible story about her abusive husband. She was getting a divorce, blah, 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 that I didn't see her for a couple months that I saw her again. And she came in and she's holding his hand and they're walking. And I sat down next to her and I said, oh, how you been, blah, blah, blah. And she goes, oh, wonderful. She's like, we're just finalizing things. And she's like, we're not getting divorced anymore. He had been head injured in a car accident and lost the majority of his memory from like from 35 years old or you know whatever and he only remembered like recent memory and whatever was traumatizing this man to cause him to have these anger issues were not there anymore and it made me think about do our beliefs create our anger well what a silver lining out of a terrible, you know, accident. Sure. But yeah, that can, um, again, it's more than a two-way street. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it's sort of like if I lend you money and you didn't give me any money back, and then your next door number neighbor asked me for money, I already have a belief system that I can't trust your next door neighbor. Mm, gotcha. Because... You messed me up. I'm mad about that. I'm now carrying that to somebody who has no experience with me. And I have no experience with that person. So I, I truly believe um, and that's where we see a lot of our kids really struggle in, in, in believing they can do it. Athletes believing they can do it. Musicians, whatever it is. And it's always wonderful when you see these beautiful stories of um in fact, I just heard one on NPR for the Paralympics, mm-hmm. and they're interviewing one of the Colorado Paralympians, and she's a 66-year-old physician that I used to work with 30 years ago. She's a children's hospital working with kids with special needs. She's in a wheelchair. She had an accident sometime in her life, and she was talking about the belief of being an Olympian for years. It was so moving, and if you look at her in the wheelchair, you go, oh, you never can you know, do this. Right. So can you imagine taking your kiddo, if you had a special needs child who needed a wheelchair or walking and therapy and all this, and enrolls your doctor wearing her Olympic you know, right. outfit. Yeah. And so um, our beliefs, when we treat patients, I believe our beliefs are sometimes even stronger Absolutely. than the deficit that we're trying to treat. Absolutely. You know, I could see um, during my cancer treatments during COVID, it was a unique situation because people couldn't have family members in when they're getting their infusions. So we had a whole cancer center full of solos, you know, so what do you do? You talk to the gal in the next chair over, you know, whereas normally we would be engaging with our friends and family or the person we came, our support person. Well, we couldn't have a support person. And what struck me, and I obviously couldn't go back and check on all these things, but there were those that were unshakable beliefs that this is just a bump in the road and they just need to do whatever they need to do to get on with their life. Like just, this was not even a a thing. And then there were those that embraced it like their whole 
being like this is this is who i am i am cancer you know i am the cancer treatment and then there were other ones that are like i've got diagnosed and i'm never gonna live and they really did fall neatly into kind of three different belief systems the ones who looked at it like like you'd like break an arm you have to get a cast you got to get x-rays you got to do these things and then you're fine then you have the people who took it on in their whole being and then you had the ones that really believed and i wouldn't be surprised to find that the ones who believed that they would never survive this treatment or survive probably didn't live very long yeah you know we spent a lot of time with our therapists and staff uh training them how to speak mm-hmm. like instead of saying you're a brain injury patient no you're a patient right. who has a brain injury and they go what's the difference mm. huge they're not huge. taking on your diagnosis as who to who they are right they as have. part of your identity that's right and you then look at your world through that identity yes i'm dying and you look at the world through dying rather than look at the world as what can you create still right and you might make choices that would encourage dying you know if i'm you know diabetic and i'm going to be dying anyway why not eat all the sugar why not do all the things you know and i you'd laugh at this but you know i had that with my mother you know when my mother was stage four breast cancer she's like well why can't i just eat anything i want i'm dying anyway and like mom quality of life matters um you know and we don't want to make you know difficult things even more difficult um but you know our internal vision like you said is in many ways can supersede that external vision because honestly if i believe i can't read this book i remember um taking a russian class in college and the teachers like we're going to read the first chapter in war and peace in the original russian and you know dr hellerstein i just about fell on the floor i'm thinking i'm going to learn how to write the cyrillic alphabet i'm never going to be able to and my 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 instructor prepotaville would say you have to believe you can you know you have to believe you can you can read this and i'm like thinking i i don't think i can and the truth was i didn't because i didn't even try. Yeah. I you was know that, certain. Well, there's an old saying, you need to see it to believe it. However, I believe it goes both ways. Yep. You need to believe it sometimes to see it. To see it. And I had a, such an interesting lesson very early when I started my practice. I had a patient, uh, her mother brought her this patient in. She was a um, 16-year-old um, female who had cerebral palsy. And she had very little function. She was in a wheelchair. She couldn't move her arms. She had constriction of all the muscles, couldn't speak, couldn't eat. And the love this mother showed this kid and the relationship and bond. I just had never seen that before uh, and learned to see connection at a whole different level. Mm. And, you know, that's where you know, that's still tied into beliefs of, you know, who you are. You don't have to be able to sit up. You don't have to talk to have this heart connection. Right. Right. I mean, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful. And I think, you know, if we had to speak and we had to see, how would we have a relationship with an infant? Right. You know, or a pet or a pet, you know, um, 
Yeah, I can tell when my dogs are, I have two, I have, we have chicken nugget, who's a little chihuahua, that's what happens when you let your kids name the dog. And then the other one was named Sally after my childhood teddy bear. I had a little doll named Sally. And, you know, it's amazing to me when I'm just sitting there watching TV and Sally's a golden retriever and she will just come up and put her shoulder like next to mine on the couch, not sit on my lap, not sometimes she'll put her paw on my leg. Like there's such connection from soul to soul. And, you know, obviously you can't look a golden retriever in the eyes, you know, you can't have extended eye contact. And she's also 16 years old. She's part chow and um, that's where she gets her longevity but she will go to each family member and she approaches in a different way and she sits in a different way. And it's just very interesting how to watch her with my little son, she'll roll on the floor with him and lay on him. My older son, she'll sit and, you know, roll over and want rubs and put her head on his knee. And then with my dad, she sits on his feet. And I, I, I watch that sometimes going, you're communicating, you're relating to us in the way nobody trained her to do these things but you know that communication is just phenomenal well i think it just shows it is a great story sandra but it it shows that we have so much other sensory systems going on besides the five senses absolutely our awareness i'm sure you've gone to in a room where people are angry and they don't have to say a thing and you can feel the energy and you know we can get all you know off on energy and all but um Many of the treatments that we do in vision care involve shifting some of the emotional and energetic states. Some people will put on a lens and the lens doesn't make them see clear. Most people think, oh, put on a lens, I see clear. They go, I feel so much more relaxed. Mm. Hmm. Okay. We'll use colored lenses for certain treatment. They go, the world stops moving. You know, so you start hearing crossover language of what we're doing, traditional vision, you know, treatments, but how it impacts them beyond seeing. Mm -hmm. Seeing is certainly important, but um, there's a story in in my most recent book about uh, a 70 plus year old artist. She came in, uh, she was one of my early patients over 40 years ago. And she came in, I'd seen her a couple of times. She comes in, Betty's her name. And she was a beautiful artist. In fact, I have one of her ballet paintings in my house. And, and Betty had astigmatism, which means um, it's a different way of being blurry. Like one meridian is more focused than the other meridian. Most people wearing glasses have that astigmatism prescription in their glasses. And she had quite a bit. She was 2100 without her glasses. So we did this exam. I check her health. I gave her the best prescription. She could see great. And she goes, this is so good, honey. Well, I don't need the prescription. I'm not getting new glasses. I said, well, Betty, you're not seeing very well without glasses. She goes, oh, yeah, I know that. But if I want to do my artwork, I need to see more than detail. And your glasses make me see way too clear. Interesting. And I'm like, again, I'm just out of school. And, you know, I've had four years of graduate what she telling me about, and, and you know, that stuck with me trying to figure out what she was talking about. Mm-hmm. And the glasses, sometimes when you see really clear and it's great, but it can constrict your peripheral awareness. And that's why people go to contact lenses because all of a sudden they see more. Right. You can see more of the world. 
Yeah. Well, what do you mean more of the world? You right. know, you still see 2020, you still see 2020, but those are the kinds of things can, can change when you start, you know, and it could be very innocently just getting a new pair of glasses. Sure. I hate these. Why? I don't know. They're just not right. We can't find one optical problem with them. And it could be the tilt and it could be how the lens fits. I mean, there's a lot of reasons for it, but but that opens up the whole discussion of vision beyond 2020 and just seeing clearly. Well, yeah. And, and I, you know, it's funny when you say that, like I have, my eyes haven't changed in like, I don't know, seven, eight years now. And sometimes I would go in and get a new set of lenses and I'm about 2750, 2900, like each eye. And they'd give me a new set of glasses and I'd be like, Oh, I have to figure out how to see again. Yeah because you get used to seeing things a certain way and then there's too much detail like the first couple days of my new lenses i walk around like you know relearning to see again because you're used to a certain way and then when you fine tune it like that it is overwhelming and jarring no question about that in fact i have a sister-in-law who has a similar prescription um really high nearsighted and you can call her in the middle of the night and she can't pick up and answer the phone until she puts on her glasses, even though it's pitch dark. Yeah, yeah. So just her thinking that vision's turned on, even though she can't see, really. Uh, she can't listen until her vision is on. Yeah. And now many of your listeners may have experienced that, you know, they've gotten the new, wonderful, invisible, bifocal uh, lenses. And, and the optics keep getting better and better. But if you have a tendency towards dizziness or what we call vestibular balance kinds of issues, okay. you put on a pair of glasses like that, we may really have a significant safety problem yeah. because you move your head and you start getting distortions or you know, it's just the way the optics are. Most people can get used to them very quickly. But if you have other issues going on in your body, you know, when I see a patient who's diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, mm-hmm. they come in wearing their invisible bifocals, they may not be able to wear them anymore. Now that they've really changed their balance and their movement, mm-hmm. their their same prescription or type of lens may or may not work for them anymore. Sure. And, and certain changes, you know, that's why I do have contact lenses on and then I wear, you know, a different set of glasses to be able to read and use the computer. You know, I've got double lenses that works for me. When I tried the everything built in, I almost threw up. I was I couldn't do it. And the yeah. other one, like I, I just want to know if you've ever heard of this one, because this is the kids laugh at me all the time. I buy the lenses that you can sleep in, but I can't sleep in them because when I wake up at night and I see clearly I'm disoriented and I get up and I navigate around the house with my eyes closed. It doesn't matter if the lights are on or anything's on. If I have to get up and go to the bathroom, my kids are like, mom, you know, you keep your eyes shut the whole time and I can navigate around perfectly, just lightly touching things. But a lot of times I can't find my glasses. They've fallen on the floor or, you know, if I can't find them right away and I still need to go to the bathroom, I have to do it with my eyes shut. Now, I have not heard that story and it's a great one, but it really demonstrates the importance of vision beyond 2020 because getting 2020 for you some of it could be the light they're showing that very small amounts of light especially with kids really changes processing in the sleep uh, pattern so some of it could do with light some of it could also be 
you know, you kind of have sleep, a little groggy. You don't want to really engage cognitively and really think and see. And your, you know, contacts in is like, whoa, you know, you're it's, tuned right it's in to see. too much. So it's a great story and I understand it, but gosh, I just hadn't heard that one yet. Yeah, good. Yay. I always <laughs> like to be. Yeah. Cause when I get up and I don't have my glasses on, there's lights like outside, like, you know, moonlight or there's other things and everything is wildly distorted and it's frightening, you know, and I can't tell if something's coming at me or moving away. So yeah. if I want to go to the bathroom, I know exactly almost to the T how many steps to take around the spin bike, down the hall, into the bathroom. But I can I can't do it with my eyes open. I can only do it yeah. with my eyes closed. Yeah. Well, we do a lot of our therapy with eyes open and eyes closed. Interesting. Because when you do close your eyes and, and your your audience could try this, if you were to stand up. Um, and just balance on one foot okay okay first have your eyes open okay and just balance on one foot and most people should be able to do it five to ten seconds at least right now close your eyes and balance on one foot and i already see you in your chair sandy you're like you know, <laughs> it's moving, moving around kind of orient right because what's happened is balance is really made up of your inner ear the vestibular the visual system and your what we call proprioception, your neck and, and joints and body things. And if any of these systems are compromised, it's going to affect your balance, which is oh. why we see a lot of patients that have been in minor car accidents and they end up with whiplash or some neck injury or shoulder injury. And they keep talking about how dizzy they get. Mm-hmm. When they read, they can't keep their place and their eyes are fine. You can't find any visual damage, but when you injure something in this triad, you know, if you hurt your neck and you end up with double vision, you know, now you have two out of the three systems compromised, you're really dysfunctional. And so we work uh, with a lot of these patients with physical and occupational therapists and chiropractors uh, because, you know, vision is a mainstay. I mean, you're going to have much better balance when you have your vision on. If you watch great ice skaters and they're spinning, boom, they stop because they fixate. Right. If they can't fixate, they keep spinning. Right. (laughs) So if they have a visual problem, can't fixate, literally, patients, when they get up quickly, are disoriented. Yeah, sure. So that's part of the work we do as well as integrating both with the physical and the emotional and spiritual body. Mm, interesting interesting so um we're about to the end of our time here if you could share with our listeners how people can find out more about you and and about your book you know share a little bit about that with me yeah that's great well first of all my website is lynnhellerstein.com so it's l y n n then h e l l E-R-S-T-E-I-N.com. And there's lots of uh, free handouts and checklists and uh, information about my books. I have four books. And the first book is called See It, Say It, Do It. Visualize, declare, take action. It's what we were starting to talk about earlier in this conversation about you need to visualize and speak and take action in alignment. It doesn't have to be that order. But if you keep wanting to, let's say you want to run a marathon 
and you see yourself winning a marathon and you're getting physically in shape, but you keep saying, I'm not a marathoner, mm-hmm. you have a misalignment between the see it, say it, do it. So it's really for kids to empower them, and learn how to visualize, relax. We do some breathing and balloon trips in that and real developmental things. Um, that's first book. Second book uh, is a workbook for see it, say it, do it called Organize It. Third book is 50 Tips to Improve Your Sports Performance. It's just a cute little, you know, five by seven book stick in your pocket, you know, ready for soccer. Okay, team, let's practice this one uh, visual activity. And the newest book is called Expand Your Vision, which is really a lot of what we talked about, Betty's stories in there, and um, just patient stories of how they found success in their life far beyond what their vision would have ever predicted. Love that. Love that. Well, Dr. Lynn Hellerstein, go ahead and check her out at lynnhellerstein.com. Check out her books. I'm sure they're on Amazon and wherever books are sold. And if not, you can always check out her website. Again, that's lynnhellerstein.com. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Thanks, Lynn. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us today on Vision Beyond Sight. Join Dr. Lynn Hellerstein each week to help you find clarity in your functional vision and expand the power of your seeing brain to gain courage, confidence, and success in your life. Remember, your vision does not define you. You define your vision. For more information and find additional podcasts, visit lynnhellerstein.com. See you next time on Vision Beyond Sight.